I get so angry that it scares me. My first thought is I was, that I had to find a way to get to him and kill him with my bare hands. There's a silly saying about Texas girls that tends to have a lot of truth behind it. You don't mess with a girl from Texas. If she doesn't have a gun, you can bet her daddy does. Truthfully, that may as well extend across the South itself and throughout the entire United States for that matter, because there is no other love quite like the love of a father for his little girl. So when Jessie Bardwell went missing in May of 2015 from her apartment in Richardson, Texas, where she lived with her boyfriend, Jason Lowe, it was probably a good thing that the police got to Jason before Jesse's daddy did. Her body hasn't been found, and yet tonight, the boyfriend of a missing woman in Richardson is charged with killing her. Andrea Lucia is live to explain. Yeah, Richardson police back here still hoping to find Jesse Bardwell alive, but at this point they see there is strong enough evidence that she may have been murdered to go ahead and file those charges. Or maybe it wasn't. I'm Krista, and you're listening to Episode 2 of Lone Star Law and Disorder. Jesse Bardwell was born on September 10, 1988. She grew up in Pascagoula, Mississippi, alongside her brother Brandon. Her father, Gary Bardwell, says he and Jessie had a special bond since the day she was born. Her friends and family described her as fun-loving, sweet, and never ever had a frown on her face. She was one of the kindest people you'll ever meet and didn't have a mean bone in her body. She was a free spirit with style and a good sense of humor. She was never afraid to just be herself and comfortable with expressing herself the way she wanted. After she graduated from high school, Jessie and her brother traveled across the country for a while, following bands and attending festivals, selling paintings to earn money. And Jessie loved the water. So after a couple of tries at college life, Jessie moved to Orange Beach, Alabama, where she worked at a local hotspot right on the beach. Ever since Jessie was a little girl, she'd had a strong, special relationship with her dad. She'd been very close to her brother, but her daddy was a different story. She just always wanted to be near him. And now that Jessie was all grown up, they were the best of friends. Gary would come play live music at the restaurant where Jesse worked. She would go to his gigs, and they would go out boating and fishing together. They communicated in some form or fashion, whether through text or phone call, every day. Then she met Jason. When Jesse met Jason Lowe, she was already living with a long-term boyfriend. But something about Jason made her leave it all behind. Friends of Jesse's described Jason as handsome and friendly and outgoing. He was an only child from a well-off family, and he already had two degrees. He had recently gotten a six-figure job in Dallas in the tech industry and was going to be living in the Dallas suburb of Richardson. And Jesse was going to follow him there. But she didn't bother to mention her move to Texas with a man they'd never met before to her family when she visited them for Christmas. As a daddy's girl myself, I suspect that's probably because deep down, Jesse knew that her daddy would have done anything to talk her out of it. Looking back, we can only wish that she would have let him. But Jesse was in love, so shortly after Christmas of 2015, Jesse Bardwell moved to Texas. 
Life in Richardson, Texas was great for Jesse, at first. Richardson is an affluent inner suburb of Dallas with a population of a little over 106,000. In 2014, Richardson was called the fifth happiest mid-sized city in America by national real estate website and blog, and America's 17th best city to live in by 24-7 Wall Street, all based on its low unemployment, low crime, high income, and great economy. Jesse was there with the man she loved, and she was going to use this opportunity to pursue her dream of cosmetology. But after only a month of living there, Jesse called her daddy in tears. Her daddy was right. She should have never come to Texas with Jason. He had accused her of cheating, and he had literally kicked her out of the house and locked the door. And she was freezing. Luckily, a friend of a friend took Jesse in and let her stay the night. Gary Bardwell bought her a plane ticket to come straight home the next day, and one of Jesse's friends went to the airport to pick her up the next evening. Her friend waited and waited until seven hours had passed. But Jesse never showed up. It turned out that Jason had apologized. He'd felt bad about the fight and would try to trust Jesse again for something she didn't do. After two months, Gary finally got to meet Jason when Jesse brought him home to visit Pascagoula. Now, every daddy everywhere knows that no other man will ever be good enough for his daughter. But this went beyond that for Gary. He couldn't put his finger on it, but this guy gave Gary a bad feeling. Jesse never let on that anything was actually wrong, but her daddy just knew. When it was time for Jesse to leave and return to Texas, Gary begged her not to go back, but Jesse insisted everything would be fine. As he watched them pull away, Gary had the gut feeling that nothing was fine. Jessie and Gary used to text each other every day. Her friends said that she always had her iPhone with her everywhere she went. Initially, the calls and texts to friends and family just became fewer and farther between. But then her cell phone was cut off completely. The only way to get in touch with Jessie was through Jason's phone, or the house phone, which Jason always answered. And Jason would just always say he didn't know where she was, or she said she'd call you later. As time went on, Jessie's dad spoke to her less and less. In May, after four months in Texas, Jessie had stopped communicating on social media, and Gary's phone calls went unanswered altogether. That hurt, and it worried Gary. But Jesse was an adult and could make her own decisions. And sometimes all you can do is give your kids some space and time. But when Jesse didn't call home on Sunday, May 8th, to wish her mother a happy Mother's Day, Gary knew something was terribly wrong and no amount of space and time was going to keep him away. He called Richardson PD to request a welfare check on his daughter and left for Texas the next day, driving 11 hours straight. And he was angry, texting Jason on the way. I texted him on the way there. I said, if Jesse is not there, when I get there, you are in a tremendous amount of trouble. When he did finally arrive at their apartment, no one was there. In response to Jesse's dad's request for a welfare check on May 8th, Richardson PD sent officers over to the apartment that Jesse shared with Jason. Officers made contact with Jason, who said that Jesse had left for the day in her gray Acura SUV and she didn't have a cell phone. Officers asked to search the Dodge Ram truck they saw sitting at the apartment, and Jason voluntarily agreed. During their search, officers found a black bag in the floorboard of the truck that contained two handguns. 
Jason was quick to tell the officers that the truck was just a rental provided by his insurance company. And nothing else was found during the brief sweep of the inside of the apartment. Officers made several more attempts to make contact with Jesse over the next 24 hours. When they returned on Monday, May 9th, the first thing they noticed when Jason answered the door was that he was all muddy. Jason told officers that Jesse had not returned all night, so he had taken the dog to look for her along some trails in a dog park where she liked to walk. He had gotten so muddy from having to chase after his dog during the search for Jesse. But the officers noticed that, oddly, the dog was clean. They also noticed some fresh cuts on Jason's hands, but he claimed they were just from the dog scratching him. Jason again told the officers that the last time he'd seen Jesse was around 8 a.m. the day before. But then he also told the officers it wasn't unusual for her to disappear for hours at a time, because they led a lifestyle where they both do their own thing without being codependent. They also noticed that Jason's Audi Q5 SUV was missing its entire front bumper and was covered with mud. When asked about that, Jason just said that the mud and the damage from the SUV was from taking his vehicle mudding about two weeks earlier. Now, if you're from the South, you probably know what mudden is. But for anyone who might not, mudden is short for mud hogging. The best description I've ever come across is from the Urban Dictionary, which said that mud hogging is an activity that typically involves plenty of beer on ice, a jacked up four wheel drive truck, country music blaring, and a field of some sort after a big rain, which sends mud flying as the driver plows through the field with reckless abandon. If you want to witness Mudden at its best, you can do a quick YouTube search for the Texas Mud Fest and watch the mud bug races at Shiloh Ridge in Alto, Texas. Now, not everybody enjoys that level of intensity when it comes to Mudden, so there's lots of people who like to just go find a freshly rained-on ditch or dirt road to play where they're least likely to get caught. Trust me, the country dirt road I grew up on fell victim to lots of muddy fun on many occasions. What mudden is not is an activity that's suitable for a little Audi Q5 SUV. The Q5 is a luxury compact SUV with a little four-cylinder engine and a ground clearance of a little over eight inches. So the explanation that Jason Lowe gave about having gone mudden just didn't fit, whether you're from the big city or not. Something wasn't right, so it was time for investigators to get involved. Investigators re-interviewed Jason by phone on May 10th and they became aware of some discrepancies between his stories that day and the previous day. They were also painfully aware that Jason just didn't seem concerned in the slightest over his girlfriend's whereabout. He just seemed so laissez-faire about the whole ordeal. Everyone was frantically searching for Jesse. Everyone except Jason. The police decided to enter Jesse's vehicle into the Learn Vehicle Detection System on May 11th, and they got a hit that very same day. Investigators from Richardson PD located the vehicle at a home in Garland, Texas. The man living there said that he had purchased the vehicle from Jason about three weeks earlier and was able to provide police with a handwritten bill of sale from Jason. 
but Jason was claiming that Jesse had driven off in it just two days ago. It was becoming evident to investigators that this might be more than just a missing person case. Investigators returned to Jason Lowe's apartment to re-interview him. With Jason's permission, they entered the apartment, where they spotted what Jason admitted to be cocaine just sitting out on a kitchen table. Investigators questioned Jason further about the situation with the vehicle. Jason said that he'd basically set up a lease agreement with the man. The man could pick up the vehicle whenever he wanted, but Jesse still maintained ownership of the vehicle. And he again insisted that he believed Jesse left the apartment in the vehicle on Sunday, May 8th. Officers asked if they could perform another search of the apartment in the garage, and Jason agreed. There were no signs of any kind of struggle inside the apartment. But when officers entered the garage, they were immediately hit by the smell of decaying flesh. Every detective who's ever smelled a dead human body can testify that the smell of death is one you never forget. Once you've experienced it, it's an odor that is immediate and distinctive. Your brain just knows it. They walked to the back of Jason's Audi SUV and opened the hatch. Where they thought they were going to find a body, they found only the bumper that had been ripped off and stuffed into the back. But I shouldn't say only, because in addition to the bumper, they discovered blood. Enough blood for them to know that a body had been there. Jason Lowe was arrested on drug charges and taken to jail. Detectives would use this as an opportunity to question Jason further about Jesse. Um, talk to you for a few minutes. From what I understand, everything kind of started with your girlfriend missing or something like that? Any idea where she might have gone? Did you guys have a fight or? Your name's gone. Why didn't, uh, did you call anybody asking for her, looking for her? Or, I mean, she had friends around, anything like that? I don't know anybody here. Did you wonder where she went? Yeah, I wonder a lot of things. Uh, I've already gone through all this, man. I don't want to keep answering the same questions. I really don't. Okay. I just like the 20th time I've answered them. How about this? We did a search warrant at your apartment. We found a bunch of blood in the back of that car. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I don't know what you're talking about. The blood in the back of the Audi. I don't know anything about it. So you don't know what happened to her? You don't know where she went? She just up and left you. You guys were gonna get married and everything was good and she just decided to leave. Man, it sounds kinda odd, don't you think? Yeah. We're just trying to find her, man. I know. She has people calling, friends calling, family calling. They hadn't heard from her and they're concerned. The only thing we wanna do is find out where she is. I don't know. Do you think you'll ever see that face again? Every time I close my eyes. What do you see? She might have laid in her arms. Is she asleep? She's not asleep? She's awake? Do you hear her voice? And what is her voice saying? I don't know. Is she saying I love you? I want to be with you. She's saying, help me. Jesse has a lot of people who care about her. And our job is to find her. The only thing we want to know is where she is. I don't know. Why don't you know? I don't. 
I don't know why it won't. If something happened to her, we can talk about it. If an accident happened, we can talk about it. Did somebody else do something to her? I don't know anything, man. I've told you everything I know. I'm done talking, really. Can I wrap this up? Can we wrap this up? I'm done talking. Just trying to find out where she's at. Alright, well, let me keep asking the same question. So you take a polygraph, then you'd have no issue with it? I'm not talking anymore. I'm not speaking with the attorney. On May 13th, investigators returned with a search warrant for Jason Lowe's apartment. Crime scene technicians used a luminol-based chemical called Blue Star, which reacts with blood and gives it a glowing effect. When they sprayed the Blue Star, the vehicle lit up. The presence of blood was indicated on the exterior of the rear bumper and the liftgate, the driver's side door handle, steering wheel, gear selector, backseat, and front bumper. Their missing person case had just turned into a homicide investigation. And the evidence only kept building from there. Investigators obtained a muddy pair of boots from the SUV and a shovel from the garage. In addition to the two handguns that had been found in the Dodge Ram truck earlier, police also located two rifles and 9mm ammunition in the garage. And that was in addition to a bullet hole in the wall of the garage. Jason Lowe was charged with murder, even without a body to prove it. He was held in a McKinney, Texas jail cell, where he would remain until his trial. While Jason remained in jail, investigators began talking with friends and neighbors. One couple that knew Jesse and Jason described Jesse as very timid and shy. They said she never really talked much, and they were just never really able to pull much out of her. Not at all like the people from home described her. It seems that Jessie had become a shadow of the person she used to be. But the couple stated that Jason made it seem as if they were happy together. As it turns out, Jason Lowe had a history of domestic violence, with the most recent arrest on May 29, 2015 in Dallas for assaulting his then-girlfriend and causing her to lose consciousness. She told police that Jason had pushed her down and sat on top of her while covering her mouth and pinching her nose. Another ex-girlfriend of Jason's said they were almost certain that they would have been killed by Jason if they'd continued dating him. Both of them said that he had driven a wedge between them and their families, just as he had done to Jesse and her family. They said that he was manipulative and controlling, and he would often become furious and accuse them of cheating, just as he had done to Jesse. One of those ex-girlfriends would later say that if she could have said anything to Jesse, it would have been simply... Run. Just save yourself. The last time anyone had seen Jesse alive was May 1st, 2016, when their new friends asked them to house-sit for them while they were away for a few days. The couple's son went by the house on the evening of May 4th, but Jason and Jesse weren't there. They also weren't there when their friends came home on the evening of May 5th. They initially thought Jason was innocent, but that would soon change. When the husband of that couple visited Jason at the jail, Jason made a shocking statement. Hi, you pick up the phone? As you What's up, brother? What's up, man? Back up from the monitor a little bit, dude. It's scaring me. I mean, I like I f***ed up and made a mistake. Like it was an accident, and I know what I'm guilty of. I'm guilty of cr criminal negligence. Another witness in the neighborhood reported seeing Jason cleaning the bed of the truck on the night of May 7th and removing several trash bags from a box. At this point, investigators had no doubt that Jason Lowe had killed Jesse, but they had serious doubts that they would ever be able to find her. As luck would have it, though, 
information from a reliable source led investigators to a field in Farmersville, Texas, about 35 miles northeast of Dallas. When they spoke to the neighbor of the property, he said that he'd written down the license plate number of a man in a black Audi that he saw on his neighbor's property on either May 9th or May 10th. That plate number matched the Audi SUV owned by Jason Lowe. Now investigators were sure they would find Jesse, but they had to warn her family that they didn't expect to find Jesse alive. Investigators walked that field. They came across the spot where they could see that Jason had gotten stuck in the mud. They could see where fragments of Jason's vehicle had broken off. It's like I said before, mud hogging is not a sport for a little Audi SUV. A little further off along the tree line, they spotted a large piece of what looked like sheet metal lying horizontally and propped up against the brush, almost like it was shielding something. As investigators walked closer, that all-too-familiar smell hit their noses. And they already knew what they would find behind that makeshift wall. Sure enough, when investigators looked behind it, they could see the outline of a body that had been sloppily wrapped up in a blue-fitted sheet and covered with a bunch of debris. They also spotted a red blanket and two red and gold towels. That sheet and those towels would later lead back to the home of the very friends that trusted them to watch their house. It took seven days for the medical examiner to identify the body. But it was definitely Jessie. Her body was so badly decomposed that they were unable to determine the cause of death. By mid-May in Texas, temperatures are already reaching the mid-80s, which is only intensified by the humidity, and I'll just leave it at that. But it was definitely death by homicidal violence. Jesse Bardwell had been brutally murdered and thrown away like trash. But Jessie wasn't trash. She was treasured, which was clearly evident in the over 900 people who showed up for her funeral at First Methodist Church back in Mississippi. And if that weren't enough, after her funeral, Jessie's family and friends threw a festival to celebrate her life. The Love and Light Festival, as it was called, included art and five bands and a second-line parade. Jesse's brother said that he and Jesse had promised each other a festival for whoever died first because they both wanted something more than just a sad service. He just never imagined that he would be the one keeping that promise. One year and four months later, Jason Lowe's trial began. Prosecutors believed that Jesse was killed on May 1st and that Jason kept her body in the back of his SUV for almost eight days before dumping it. Prosecutors didn't know exactly how Jesse was killed or where she was killed or even why she was killed, but they knew Jesse had been murdered and they were prepared to put up one hell of a fight with the strong evidence that they had to get Jesse the justice she deserved. During trial, Jason claimed that Jesse's death had been accidental. Jason and Jesse had been house-sitting for their friends, and they wound up taking GHB, otherwise known as a date rape drug. Jason claimed that he and Jesse were getting intimate in the shower when he slipped, which in turn caused Jesse to slip and fall and hit her head. While we're having sex, standing here bracing myself, 
and I start to slip. He didn't go get medical help because she said she was fine. She was just a little nauseous and maybe a little dizzy. She just kept saying, I, I feel hot. She was like, I'm, I feel a little bit dizzy. And she was, I mean, like what I would say, kind of bugging out is what I thought. He said that they then fell asleep with Jesse laying on his chest. The next morning, Jesse was still lying on top of Jason's chest. He tried to shake her and wake her up, but she was dead. I tried to kind of shake her and kept knocking, the dog kept barking. Jason said he heard a knock on the door and started to panic. It was his drug dealer. He told the drug dealer what had happened, and it was his drug dealer that got the sheet from the linen closet and wrapped Jesse up in it. Together, they put Jesse in the back of the Audi. He wrapped her up. And you're just watching as the love of your life gets bagged up in a fitted sheet. And then the two of you carry her outside, right? Yes, sir. And you toss her in the back of your alley. Placed her. Oh, affectionately, I'm sure. Jason's defense team would claim a possible closed head injury. But a closed head injury doesn't explain the amount of blood found all over Jason's Audi. Jason testified that he loved Jesse. They were going to get married and buy a house and live out the American dream. Plausible? Maybe. Except that after Jesse's body was loaded into the back of his car, Jason admits that he parked it in the garage and left her there for days, during which time he would continue to use her phone to send text messages pretending that Jesse was still alive. It was also during those days that Jesse's body sat decomposing in the back of the SUV in the garage that Jason began reaching out to other women by sexting. Or I'd love to have you bend over like that while I'm giving you what you want. I want to taste you so bad. You were sending photos of your penis to other women while the love of your life rotted in the trunk of your car. While Jason Lowe was testifying on his own behalf, his defense attorney brought up a shocking point. Jason's attorney asked him who had led the police to Jesse's body, to which Jason responded, I did. That reliable source of information that led police to the field in Farmersville? It was Jason. Jason's defense tried to spin it like Jason did it for Jesse and her family, but he wasn't fooling anyone. Everyone knew deep down inside it had nothing to do with Jesse and her family. It had everything to do with Jason. Jason had agreed to lead police to Jesse's body in exchange for a deal. If he was convicted, he would only serve 50 years instead of 99. After five days of testimony, the attorneys began their closing arguments. The jury deliberated for six hours. State of Texas versus Jason Michael Lowe, cause number 219-82169, 2016. Jury's verdict reads, we the jury find the defendant guilty of murder as charged in the indictment, signed by the presiding juror in this matter. This side wish to have the jury polled at this time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if this is your verdict, if you would please raise your right hand. Court notes for the record there are 12 hands raised. So it appears to be an endless verdict. You may just put your hands down. Jason Lowe was sentenced to his negotiated 50 years in prison. He'll be eligible for parole in May of 2041 when he's 52 years old. With the trial finally over and justice served, it was time for Jesse's daddy to begin to try to heal. Jesse, Jesse was one of the most special people. There's a deafening silence in my life. I don't know if you can understand what I mean by that. 
is since Jesse's been gone, it seems like the world has turned off. She kept my heart beating. She kept me smiling. It was like somebody ripped my heart out and ripped my soul out. My soul. Many people say that forgiveness is the first step to healing. But Jesse's daddy sees it differently. People say, forgive this person. You're not going to get better until you forgive this person. I don't look at him like a person. When you look in his eyes, there's nothing there. He's the devil. And I want to know how in the hell you forgive the devil. That's all for this episode of Lone Star Law and Disorder. If you enjoyed the podcast, take a minute to shoot on over to iTunes or Google Play and rate and review. You might also shoot on over to YouTube to view the song Gary Bardwell wrote on the last day he ever saw his daughter alive. It's called Taken Away, and he wrote it right after Jesse left to return to Texas. Because he knew. Jesse's daddy just knew. I kissed her on the forehead She hugged me so tight She said, Daddy, don't you worry It's gonna be alright As they were leaving Just the thing we used to do Take a